Hello, and welcome to the Safety 2023 podcast, presented by IOSH and recorded live at the 23rd World Congress on Safety and Health at Work in Sydney, Australia. In this series, we'll give you exclusive access to interviews with experts from around the globe to cover some of the biggest challenges and trends in occupational health and safety. Hello, and welcome to this very special series, the Safety 2023 podcast presented by IOSH. We are here live in Sydney, Australia, at the 23rd World Congress on Safety and Health at Work. I'm Kelly Williams, and I'll be your host for this series. We're in a glass booth in the middle of the exhibition hall right now, surrounded by all the action as this global event kicks off for the first time ever in Australia, and we're very excited. For anyone who's listening on the IOSH podcast, you can access the entire series, along with all the symposia, keynotes, and much more exclusive content via the World Congress platform. Just head to safety2023sydney.com. That's safety2023sydney.com, where you can register for your virtual pass now for only 400 Australian dollars. Okay, let's get right into it. I'm delighted to have our first guest here with me in the booth. She is a research scientist and the project lead for the Thriving Workers, Thriving Workplaces study at the Harvard Center for Work, Health and Wellbeing. Dr. Susan Peters, welcome. Thanks for having me. So you're heavily involved in the reformation in the health and safety of workplaces now, but you actually started your career in a different field. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so I started my uh working life as an occupational therapist, uh, working with injured workers to help them get back to work and working with organisations, helping to make workplaces safer for workers. Um, that was many years ago and I've kind of taken a, a, a kind of a, a right-hand turn um, into the research field now to learn more about what helps uh, keep workers safe at work but also learning more about their worker health and wellbeing. And in what ways do you think that that background in occupational therapy lends itself to working in health and safety? I think, you know, OT has so many different facets. Um, over the last kind of couple of decades since I graduated as an occupational therapist, we've seen OTs go into so many different fields, um, which is really exciting. I think one of the things that OTs have or one of the skills that they have is really thinking about people um, and how they interface with the roles that they perform in society, with work being one of the most important things that we do, um, and really help helps us to think about how people interface with those roles, but also how the environments in which they work actually impact their functioning. Absolutely. I'm keen to jump into your work and your career, um, but I want to preface it by talking about the symposium that you're a part of here at the World Congress in Sydney, uh, safety is good for business. So what does that mean for you? So I think about safety as being a lot more broad than just injury prevention or the prevention of harms in the workplace. And I think we're really seeing that a lot across this World Congress. Um, we're really thinking about safety as being an expansion of 
um, occupational safety and health to really think about worker well-being as being a really important facet of that. Um, I think as part of our symposium, one of the things that we are really focusing on is thinking about how organisations can start to think about worker wellbeing in different ways. And what do you think people watching will be able to take away from that panel as a whole? So I think it's about this expansion of occupational safety mm. and health to include wellbeing and that wellbeing is on a continuum. So Traditionally, we've looked at injury prevention or the prevention of harms, but now we're thinking about the promotion of health and well-being in the workplace, which is really kind of something that became very evident during the pandemic. Absolutely. Um, so you're the project lead for Thriving Workers, Thriving Workplaces at the Harvard Centre for Work, Health and Wellbeing. This study uses the, de the definition thriving from work rather than implying people are simply thriving at work. What does this mean as a concept? So thriving from work is really a holistic worker well-being concept. So we're kind of, it's not just about mental health. It's just, it's not just about being safe and healthy at work. It's really kind of thinking about it in a more broad sense. So let's just break this down. Mm -hmm. So thriving in itself means it, it focuses on worker well-being. But what we're really focusing on here is the positive functioning that we have. So the positive functioning in terms of our social functioning, our um, cognitive functioning, our physical functioning, um, really kind of thinking about all of those different elements. When we talk about the from work, mm. we're really thinking about that work now just doesn't happen in the workplace. It doesn't just happen at work. Our work and our home lives, our the things that we do in the community, the things that are important to us really are kind of, you know, being integrated in many, many different ways. We don't just think about work at work. Mm. We think about work outside of work, unfortunately, now. So what we're kind of doing is if we put those two things together, we're thinking about worker well-being and how that impacts our ability to function, our ability to achieve our full potential, not just at work, but in our home lives, in our roles in society, in, in, in our roles in, in the community mm -hmm. as well. And what general challenges are you looking to solve in this work? So a lot of what we're doing is really thinking about what it is that impacts somebody thriving from work. So those determinants of thriving from work, how does work, how do the conditions of work, the things that we, our job demands, the things that we're exposed to every day really impact our thriving from work. So that's kind of the, the first thing. The second thing that we're really focusing on is making a, the business case for worker well-being. So one of the really cool things that we're doing in our research, I think, is making the link between thriving from work or worker well-being and enterprise outcomes or outcomes that are important to organisations. So that can be productivity, that can be return or value on investment, that could be turnover or retention of staff, those kinds of things. The third kind of challenge that we're kind of really trying to solve is how do organisations do this? Mm. It's really hard 
when you're sort of focused on something like well-being that isn't as tangible as safety, it's harder to measure. With safety, you can measure it through injuries or accidents, things that happen in the workplace, that administrative data that has to be collected. Whereas well-being, we don't really know what's happening at that worker level, but it's also hard then for organisations to work out, well, what should we be doing? What, what's going to give us the best return on our investment if we put in place some sort of a strategy that we hope will improve worker wellbeing? How do we think about the conditions of work, those things that um, we're exposed to every day? Like I mentioned, like the physical work environment, the psychosocial work environment, the way our work is organised, the shifts, the schedule, the blurring of work and life now, how does that all impact worker wellbeing? So really kind of trying to develop tangible resources, things that organisations can take and use, but also working out what's the best way to be able to do that? So a lot of what we're doing is not just focusing on the large organisations that often have the resources to be able to invest in these things, but what can small and medium-sized companies do? What can those high-risk companies that have the high risk for, for injury or poor health um, because of the work that they're exposed to? How can they start to think about worker wellbeing on top of what they're doing in the safety and health field? Okay, so you've told us um, about what you aim to achieve. What are you learning about working conditions and policies that are shaping life outside work? So what we're learning are some of the things that are important for thriving from work. So if we think about the framework in itself, it has these six key dimensions that we've learned are really important for thriving from work. So the first one is social well-being from work. So being those basic things of being respected in the workplace, being valued, being supported by both our managers and the our co-workers, but also the people that we interface with in our work, whether it's students or if you're a healthcare provider, be it patients, um, you know, in retail, it's customers, customers. (laughs) you know, that can be really uh, challenging. So that's one of the dimensions. The other one is really thinking about what are those elements in the design of jobs that are really important for thriving from work? And some of the things that we've learned are most important are things like decision latitude, being able to control certain elements of your work. Um, It's having a voice in the workplace, but also feeling safe that if you do, you know, do do have a say in the workplace that you're not going to get into trouble, mm-hmm. that you're not going to be ridiculed or made fun of if you say something, if you if you have an opinion or you have a, a really great idea. Um, the other things are, are things that we've been thinking about a lot in terms of work schedules. Uh, a lot of us now, work is really blurring yeah. between, you know, what we do between the hours of nine to five or whatever our kind of schedule work hours might be and outside of work. And so we think about this as not work-life balance anymore, Mm. but really work-life integration. How do those two integrate and how can we do that effectively that impacts somebody's well-being? Um, So that's one one of the um, other dimensions. So um, the third dimension is the basic need for having fair pay Mm-hmm. having access to paid leave, those kind of really basic needs. Um, and then kind of moving on to those things that impact our physical health, our mental health at work. So the physical work environment or the 
being physically safe at work, but also this concept that we're hearing more about called psychological safety, mm-hmm. um, which is related to worker voice um, very much so, but it can also just be feeling um, like supported in the workplace, yeah. having that social connection, feeling that feeling of belonging um, that you can have conversations with your work colleagues in, in very free and open ways, but also having access to um, other people in the workplace, which we're seeing, you know, much more now where we're kind of moving to these remote workplaces that we have to interact in new and different mm-hmm. ways. Um, so that's kind of part of it as well. So if an organisation is adopting the thriving from work framework into their business, what is the process that they go through? So through the Thriving From Work study or the Thriving Workers study, one of the things that we've done is kind of looked at developing resources and tools. So one of the first things that we have is this Thriving From Work questionnaire, which is based on the framework. So it enables workers, um, organisations to be able to measure Thriving From Work or measure worker wellbeing to see how different groups of workers are doing. Um, but it also helps to identify within those six dimensions some of the elements that are important for Thriving From Work. In terms of, you know, implementing it as a framework for thinking about things to improve in the workplace, thinking about how what working conditions work looks like, the process is very much based on um, some of the previous work that we've done at the Harvard Centre for Work, Health and Wellbeing that looks at um, having an integrated approach. So how do you integrate, fundamentally integrate worker wellbeing into management systems within an organisation? And it's a stepwise process um, that kind of steps organisations through different ways of doing that from using data, how do you collect data from workers, how do you do that in a safe way, how do you get trust from your workers if you're Mm. collecting this really important information how do you be responsive to that when you do find out that something needs to be improved Um, and it also has a focus on identifying strengths so what is an organization really doing well at so that you can kind of marry those Mm -hmm. two Um, it helps uh, the the process helps organizations to think through how to actually prioritize what to work on. If you find out that there's multiple things that you need to be doing, you need to work out what are the things that we need to do now and what are the things that are going to be longer-term projects that we need to work on over time and then develop action plans or strategies or whatever we want to call it Mm -hmm. to really tackle those problems and how do we communicate that back to workers. So part of the process that we've developed is really thinking about how do we get worker input into this process throughout it so that we know that what we're going to put in place actually does impact worker wellbeing. It's not going to just be an add-on, you know, a program or like something that's kind of just being kind of thought about as an after effect. Mm -hmm. Um, So it it kind of really steps organisations through all those different steps but then takes them full circle back to, okay, now you've done that. How do we kind of use this as a continuous improvement process? So it just becomes part of how we do business. Sounds fantastic. So who is the framework available to at the moment? So um, 
The framework is publicly available on our website. Um, we're currently updating it with more resources as we learn more. We're learning more about how the framework is being implemented by different across different sectors, across different size of organisations, um, across different geographical locations. Um, thriving from work likely doesn't look exactly the same here in Australia, as it does in the US, as it does in Europe, as it does in South America, you know, some of the places that we're, that are currently kind of implementing our framework or starting to think about how they might use it. So there's lots of different things that are happening on our website, on our platform. So I encourage people to, you know, connect with the centre itself through LinkedIn, through social media, just as those resources become available, they'll be pushed out to the public even more. Fantastic. And do you have any success stories coming in from the study? Yeah, so one of the things that we, um, we, we've learned um, recently um, from one of the studies that we're doing in South America that is looking at uh, the links between worker wellbeing and how they can improve worker wellbeing, they're, they're kind of very much at the forefront of really kind of harnessing that and thinking about that, is they've been able to identify within their own organisation, so it's across two different countries in South America, there's 300 different workplaces. Right. And the workplaces that have um, working conditions work in place that really support this notion of thriving from work, so worker wellbeing, we've been able to link that to improved client outcomes, to improved client satisfaction outcomes, which is a really kind of neat uh, a finding, something that's really exciting. So now they're looking at how they can learn from some of those higher functioning groups to be able to think about, well, what can we apply to some of the, our other work groups that aren't thriving as much because we know that if we invest in this, mm. we're going to have better client outcomes as well, which is the crux of their business. Absolutely. So from the outside, measuring the well-being of an organisation can be complex, but extremely intriguing set of data for business, any business <laughs> to have. Um, there are a lot of clinical tools available for individual well-being. How do you go about measuring the well-being? You spoke about it a little bit before. How do you go about measuring the well-being in a workplace? Well, we can do it through the questionnaire that we've developed, yeah. which is a very much a worker survey. Um, we have used that really effectively in large organisations where data can be kept anonymous because that's really important for workers yeah. to be able to provide a very honest opinion about what's happening. They feel like they can trust that the organisation will then take that information and it won't be linked back to them in some way. Um, but we're also sort of seeing this kind of neat thing I did a workshop recently um, in a rural area so one of the for the one of the departments of public health in the US and we kind of brainstormed about like the ways that they were using the questionnaire or thinking about using the questionnaire um, and some of these smaller organizations or smaller companies were using the framework itself so not the questionnaire or they were kind of using the, the questions in there more as something in their performance reviews so not just thinking about okay, we're giving up the performance of the worker, but the worker being able to think about how their work was impacting their thriving from work, stepping through those dimensions, stepping through those questions and giving feedback back to their employer yeah. about some of the ways that could be improved or some of the things that are happening um, in their work life um, that 
really are impacting their ability to thrive both at work and outside of work. Um, And I thought that was just a really neat way that people are thinking about this kind of really, like you mentioned, complex problem. Mm. Worker wellbeing is really complex. Humans are really complex. Um, And we bring our lives into work. We take our work into our lives. And so this was just a really kind of cool way that people are starting to really leverage some of these tools and resources that are out there Mm. to be able to fit their purpose. That's really interesting, isn't it? Because they're kind of flipping it on its head, but they're buying into it because they can see the benefits, like you said, full circle. Yeah. Um, That's that's fantastic. Fascinating. Um, So are there challenges that you face in collecting this particular Mm -hmm. type of data? I know you were saying it's anonymous, but even so, some people Mm -hmm. are still quite reluctant, aren't they? Yes. So, and it's one of the things that when organisations are thinking about using the questionnaire, we kind of walk them through, you know, some of the the challenges of doing a questionnaire. It's really important that they don't try and identify who that person is. It's it's in their nature to want to know, well, who was that worker that said that? <laughs> How long have you worked at the company or something yeah. like that? Yeah. Um, so, you know, putting, but the, the power in collecting that data can be really powerful. So really trying to get organisations to really rethink the ways that they collect data traditionally mm-hmm. um, and, and thinking about it as being just as important in collecting this wellbeing data as collecting the health and safety data that they've collected for many, many years because often it's legislated. It's a regulation that they need to keep a track of, those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of one of the big challenges is getting organisations to see the value in collecting that data, making sure that workers feel comfortable Mm -hmm. and that the information that they provide is going to be used in a positive way, not against them. But also, if you collect the data, you need to do something with that and being responsive. So if you see that there's problems in the workplace, it's not about kind of, you know, putting your head in the sand and pretending it's It's not there. It's it's about solving the problem, but doing it in a really responsive way and a timely way. So workers kind of feel like, oh, I told them that. And hey, they listened. They feel valued. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. And so now they're more likely to want to give that information to their employer. Mm. And then when their employer or their manager or whoever it is can see that, well, we put something in place, now workers are kind of giving us this information freely, but I can also see the benefits. I can Mm. see the benefits in terms of their engagement at work, how productive they are at work, how well we're functioning as a team at work, all of those things that are really important that they are accountable for in the workplace. Okay, so taking a broader lens to all of this, what benefits do businesses see when they commit to a healthy occupational safety and health culture for their workers? So I think there's many benefits and the research on this is still coming out. So Mm -hmm. the the work that we're doing is very much in its infancy, but there's some really powerful data that's coming out from some of the big consulting organisations now that are looking at wellbeing more broadly but being able to link it to enterprise outcomes. And we're starting to replicate some of that in our work. Like I mentioned, we're being able to see the the benefit of if you focus or you have workers that are really thriving, then you're more likely to see uh, improved client outcomes, Mm. which is really important. If you invest in worker wellbeing, they're more likely to want to stay 
in that organisation. So you're retaining mm-hmm. talent, which is a huge problem at the moment. And a cost. And a cost. I, I, there's a recent uh, study that was done by the American Psychological Association of Workers that showed this statistic that blew my mind that 81, well, half of the American workforce is either actively or passively seeking a new job mm-hmm. and 81% of workers are looking for organisations that prioritise their wellbeing as one of their main reasons for leaving that job. And so worker wellbeing is not just important to workers, but there's a, an impact there that we can see, a very tangible impact that we can see on workplaces or employers in that they're going to lose talent mm. if they don't think about that. And when we really think about, you know, an organisation that's thriving, a workplace that's thriving, then how can you have that if your workers aren't thriving. So really it's at the foundation. If, you're, if, if your workforce is your main asset, then it's in your best interest to really think about how you can invest in worker wellbeing. That's a really, really good way of looking at it. So what message do you have for business leaders out there uh, with regards to what impact they can have on their team's lives through a healthy commitment to OSH? I think we've talked a lot about this already, but, you know, just to summarise is that, you know, the way the world of work is really changing. We're seeing rapid advancements in technology. We have to interface with new work demands, new challenges in the workforce every day. And workers are usually at the forefront of dealing with those changes. Mm. And so if you invest in worker wellbeing, then they're more... And, and how some of those changes in the future of work that we're seeing are impacting their well-being and really trying to bridge the gap between the two, then you're likely to create an organisation or a workforce that's more resilient to some of those changes that we're seeing, which is really important. We learn about that during the pandemic. Absolutely. That we need to have a resilient these resilient processes in place that we need workforces that are resilient. And when I say workforces are re- that are resilient, I'm not saying that we should just focus on creating workers that are more resilient. That's not it. It's about changing work, the nature of work, looking at how we can improve working conditions, the policies, programs and practices that support working conditions. And being able to adapt. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. So that if we do that, then our workers are going to thrive mm-hmm our workforces are going to thrive. We're going to have more innovative, creative teams that are going to be able to engage with some of these changes that we're seeing in the future of work. We're going to give them the resources to be able to adapt to some of those technological advancements that we're seeing. We're going to create workforces that are going to start to see what skills they need to adapt to be able to be in the workforce. And if we do that, if we focus on worker wellbeing as kind of the the central piece of that that if we support a worker's well-being we support them to be able to thrive at work work, from from work work, um, then workers or organizations are going to be more resilient to some of these changes well it's a fascinating concept um and a really really important piece of work so I can't thank you enough for sitting down and speaking to me today Uh, It's been so interesting to pick your brain and get a download of the work that you've been doing. So thank you. Uh, Remember, if you're listening to this on the IOSH podcast, you can get access to every interview in the Safety 2023 series 
along with all the other sessions and exclusive videos from the 23rd World Congress on Safety and Health at Work right now on the World Congress platform. Just head to safety2023sydney.com and register for your virtual pass for only 400 Australian dollars. From everyone here at IOSH and the 23rd World Congress on Safety and Health at Work, thanks so much for listening and we look forward to sharing your conversations from the world of OSH with you very soon.